0: Hey everybody this is Molly from Chapel Hill Public Library. I know it's been a minute. After a very long hiatus I'm so excited to share a new episode of Recollecting Chapel Hill. This episode was totally conceived of and produced by an amazing young person, Zan Coleman. Zan is one of nine Kate scholars who've been hard at work all summer long here at the library. My co-host, Danita mason Hogan, the visionary behind the Kate Scholars Program, explains it all.
1: The James Kate Scholars are a way to connect local black history with young people and provide them with tools for historical study, provide young people with methodologies of research. We have speakers, talks, and experiences that allow young people to tap into their natural brilliance and leadership abilities. This year. Our showcase is also a fundraiser to continue the program that is growing every single year. We believe that we have so much to learn from young people, and we love to watch them grow and go. I hope you enjoy listening to my man, Zan, as he talks about his experiences with poetry. I'm Denita Mason-Hogans, founder and president of Bridging the Gap. And now I'm turning over the podcast controls to Zan.
0: Take it away, Zan.
2: I just have to say, this is crazy. This, this, this is crazy. Two poet laureates uh, at the same time. I'm just, I'm so thankful that y- y'all are here. Welcome to Recollecting Chapel Hill, James Cape Scholars Edition. Hello, I'm Zan Coleman, your host for today, and I am uh, with Cortland Gilliam, the current Poet Laureate. Hey, how's it going? Uh, we have Mr. C.J. Seuss,
3: if I'm pronouncing that right.
4: Yeah, for
3: sure. Yeah. The Poet Laureate is kind of like an ambassador for poetry for the town, right? So there's someone who has been appointed by the town council Um, after, you know, a selection committee process happens um, to basically kind of inspire people and motivate people to come out and build community around the appreciation and love of the written and spoken word um, of poetry. A letter to allies of new and old written june 7th 2020. dear allies i'm glad to have you on board but please never forget that this is an escape boat this is a life raft severed suspended It is a sacred salve of wreckage from a cause long lost and abandoned. This here is no cruise line. It is no search boat even. There are no saviors here, only survivors. There's no going back. There's not even a back to return to. No, this here be a one-way trip called freedom to a land free from the conceits of liberty A land far free from this current condition, far closer to a human one. There is space for you there, too. I guess growing up, I didn't always know I was a poet. I just really had a a love of language. And, um, you know, and that love of language grew out of a love of music. And so, you know, I listened to a lot of music and I'd always pay attention to the lyrics, the song lyrics. Um, and, you know, I, I would practice writing poems a little bit as I got older, like later elementary school for like class assignments. And that was all exciting. But I don't think it was really until um, I was in college where I was exposed to spoken word poetry. Um, and that's kind of where I started to understand that is something that I could do because, you know, I was already writing like rap lyrics and, you know, song lyrics by that time. And so I kind of just decided to start to play with, um, lyricism and, and yeah. And I had friends tell me like, Cortland, you're a poet. (laughs) And that's one of the things that helped me realize I was a poet. So, um, Growing up, I do not think I realized I was a poet, but I had all these ideas that I wanted to express. And I was always kind of searching for the right language to communicate what I was feeling um, or thinking um, with the world or with my friends or the adults in my life or peers or whatever. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, Yeah, uh, I've had similar experiences. You're you're a black poet. Were were
3: you just viewed as different uh, as a kid? I think I was being a a black kid who was also, you know, a straight A student who worked hard um, at school, but, you know, who had parents who encouraged that. And, you know, my folks were um, in the military. So for, I always have this joke within my family that you know, you know, with me and my sister, you know, A's were expected of us, but B's were accepted, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, um, we were expected to kind of work hard and, and perform well in school. Um, so I think that kind of already was, um, a particular background and foundation for the love of education that I had. That was, um, unique in some regards I think particularly it was you un- you and it was viewed as unique for the spaces that I was going to school in so I attended mostly predominantly white um kind of middle class you know schooling environments and those spaces unfortunately were not accustomed to black people period but not black people like myself right who were you know excelling in school and doing well um, or who had that um, encouragement and um, had those high expectations. You know, I think white settings typically expect little from black people, you know, um, or have lower expectations for black students. But I, in my house, well, you know, with my dad and my family, it's um, coming from that background. I had higher expectations. So I think that made me somewhat you know, I was treated differently. Um, I was told that I spoke really well for like a black person. And so even as a young kid, I remember people telling me that. And I was always confused by that. I'm like, I'm just, you know, I'm talking how I know how to talk and whatever. So I think, yeah, I was treated differently, not because I was a poet, but treated differently because I was a particular kind of nerdy black kid and people didn't know what to do with that. And, um, you know. I grew older and realized why that was and kind of realized some of the systemic and cultural factors behind it. And poetry really became a way of me figuring out my own voice, myself, um, and then sharing that voice with other people. Freedom dreams. I'm tired. I am tired of dreaming to survive, of surviving just to dream, only then to survive the dream long enough to see it sour, long enough for it to nightmare and then wake up deferred, long enough to remember the real meaning of dreams, which is to say long enough to remember the real meaning of long enough. To remember the real meaning of the yet and the still, to remember that more dreams will come because they have to, because more dreams have came and have always become more than just dreams. You see, dreams, they are our daily bread. They are our day given, our kingdom come, our lamentation of millennia past and millennia yet to come. You see, dreams don't die.
4: This poem. You know, I feel like uh, Black people are Black black men in particular, but Black people are not from this planet. But I feel like in many ways Black men are from the moon. There is a, uh, a folk tale from the Maasai warriors that the Maasai warriors came down to the planet to take care of folks um, in an egg. And when the egg opened up, they were let out of it and it was thrown up into the sky and became the moon to remind them of why they were here on the path, on the earth, to take care of folks, take care of that community and the folks around them. Um, And so that said to say, I changed shape just to hide in this space and they treat me like an animal. Pause. We gonna pause. So I grew up in a Southern Pentecostal church. This is not, you know, I think sometimes people think about poetry and they think like roses are red violets of blue and I love you we often say poetry is not like golf you don't have to wait to the end of this poem to be like oh that was lovely (laughs) you can can make noise all up and through this poem that's going to give me energy it's an exchange you can snap or you can do what we call a grandma cookie noise which sounds like "Mm." (laughs)
1: mmm
4: yeah (laughs) follow me is when I'm done you can do all the clapping yeah, I think I, there's often a frustration with me and why I am who I am as an artist. It's mainly just because there was a lot of lip service, a lot of people talking about what the things were. And I don't think we were having the right conversations or we're, we're struggling to have the right conversations in Chapel Hill. It's a place that struggled to have the right conversations to really turn that into action mm-hmm. and shift the environment and the way the space looks for folks who look like me. Mm-hmm. And so. I do it through art because it's an offering and people can take it or leave it, but it's like here, it's, mm-hmm. it's an offering. And um, and I think people, instead of dealing with those issues, they hide in in, in religious spaces, they hide in, in eco-gardening spaces or so green spaces um, rather than like showing up. And I think art is the way that I show up in all of those spaces and say, here's what's going on. Like, you know, stop looking up or down, like, and look out. I change shape just to hide in this space, and they treat me like an animal. I change shape just to hide in this space, and they treat me like an animal. There was a time when my world was filled with darkness. Darkness, there was a time when my world was filled with darkness. I'm somewhere reeling. Out of control, a soul trapped in the body of a human. We brothers be moon men. Wrapped in lunar eclipse skin, a riddle wrapped in swaddling froze with enigma colored star patterns, a stripe. For every clutched wife, every suspected knife, when the only concealed weapon was hiding in plain plight, an implicit criminality in melanin, but we colored boys be brave. <laughs> Fleet a cage, grab spear, and disappear into the darkness. Darkness is a strange thing because it can all too often be confused for something to be afraid of. This Sunday, I wore no tie. Matter of fact, this body is a trap house jumping like Jordan Davis, skin weigh heavy on my chest like a star of David. This Sunday, I wore no tie. Instead, I don sleepwalk covers like a cocoon. Picture me black butterfly. Dreams my metamorphosis, the only time I get to evolve, really get to solve all my problems. Feel like I don't owe a debt to society that it charged me in the first place. One moment in present presence of being. They say the opposite. They say the opposite. They say the opposite of fear is curiosity. I think it felt really important to me that like poetry is a space where for me, writing made me feel free mm-hmm. and didn't make me feel like all the pressures of structure and form. Like mm-hmm. the reality is that I was not a great English student. And so because of that, and part of that was that like grammar never worked for me. Mm-hmm. Like I would write my papers, they'd be all mm-hmm. marked up with red pen ink, right? Um, and poetry was the space where the words got to mean, the punctuation, the spelling got to mean what I wanted it to mean. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, I like, like I I want poetry for myself and for anybody else to feel a space that, like a space that isn't confined by rules or, or boundaries
3: when it comes to your writing on the paper. <laughs> when I was in high school, I'll tell you this. Um, so like I said, my love of poetry began with music. And really um, when I started writing, I first wrote, lyrics, like either like a, a chorus or a hook for a song um, or verses like rap lyrics. Um, and I had a friend who would, pr- you know, he had a lot of production equipment and kind of like a home studio. He came from like a pretty musical family, so they had a lot of instruments and all that, and he would produce beats and make music. And that that would be like our weekend hangouts in high school so I'd go over to his place um, and he would make some beats and then we'd both like write lyrics and make songs. Um, I say that all to say My first stage name Was when I was like Under my rapper name You know Mm -hmm. And that was um, Philo I think was the name Mm -hmm. That I went by at that time Which was like short for Philosopher Um, Yeah and uh you know i thought that was really cool (laughs) but um i stopped uh i stopped going by a stage name i've made a few different names
2: like the
3: fiend
2: um young maestro just Mm -hmm. i've played around with a few different names but uh i think names like that have power
3: why do you think it's important for people to understand that
2: it's like a firework. There's one word, and then it explodes, and all the different ideas come stemming from that one word. Mm-hmm. Not to be, to be the not, for not it be, for see they not, for see the be, beware the sting, disciples sword, the end will bring. redeem thy kingdom come, for stung will heal, the heels to run, the rondo reel, the reel is one, to one is trilled in triumphant song.
4: Yeah, okay, right. okay, okay. Fire. Fire.
2: My experiences yeah. growing up as a you know black poet and musician, you know. Yeah. And um growing up in Houston, I came to know different types of music at an early age. Uh I listened to Mozart, uh, and I listened to Chameleonaire at the same time. You no, know, you see me rolling, they hating they see me you know? rolling,
4: they hating, patrolling and trying to kiss me right.
2: And then at that very same time, uh, I would say that kindergarten age, I watched The Phantom of the Opera on PBS. That really changed me. You know, I always wanted to make music and I saw a guy, you know, struggling to make music. And yeah, I was
3: like, yeah, I relate to that dude. Mm -hmm. Yeah, music has a way of... um I think it's, it's it's like a like a, a seed for a lot of different kind of creative creativity like you know for us we're talking about being musicians and poets but you know I know people who are you know visual artists but like music is so much a part of like their process and like what inspires them to create what they create you
4: know to be honest like I really enjoyed growing up in Chapel Hill and um I grew up out in the country, parts of Chapel Hill. Now, country Chapel Hill is not, not like, country North Carolina.
2: Yeah, yeah.
4: It's still got some attributes of country North Carolina. Like, I grew up making mud pies and playing in the creek and, like, you know, running across all sorts of, like, creatures and critters in the woods and, you know, catching fish in the morning, fish fry in the afternoon, evening, uh, playing, like, tackle football in the backyard with my cousins. So all of that was true. Um, and like when I went to school, I went to school with like wealthy kids
2: mm-hmm, yeah. as
4: well as poor kids. Like everybody was at Chapel High School. Mm-hmm. Also had the privilege of going to the same high school my father went to. Mm-hmm which meant that like my driver's ed teacher was his driver's ed teacher many years before. Um, And my last name was a thing that was recognized by certain people in the school environment and is still recognized in certain areas and spaces in Chapel Hill. And I think being a part of that like lineage and legacy and all of that, It's a thing to be proud of, and I feel, like, very proud to be from here. I think one of my challenges was that, like, in learning about civil rights history in Chapel Hill in school, I didn't learn about the local civil rights history until I was an adult until I was, like, doing work on UNC's campus and, like, you know, activist work around, like, Silent Sam and other things happening. And then all of a sudden I find out, oh, yeah, Martin Luther King spoke at Hargrave Center or, like, Zora Neale Hurston, like, taught here or, like, all of these sorts, of like, George Moses Horton, like, first mm-hmm. black published poet in the mm-hmm. South. Like, we are not learning about any of those things and those things are happening or happen in our community. Like, you know... Fired and by Rustin, organizer of the March on Washington, like, sin the, time of the Chain Gang, right at the intersection of, like, Columbia and Franklin Street, or Rosemary and, and Columbia, you know? Um, like, these are, these are big, like, place-centered aspects of history that I walked by on a regular basis, that I drove through on a regular basis, that I should have known as a person from here. And... Yeah, you know, so I think I I just feel frustrated with that. But, I, you know, in many ways, I wasn't surprised because that's just the nature of the United States. Right. Is that we like we like sort of wash out everything. Mm -hmm. Right. Everything just becomes like American culture rather than connected to its source. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's the way in which you go to like a burger joint and all of a sudden the burger joint is serving fish tacos
3: Mm -hmm. because
4: fish tacos are in. Right, Mm -hmm. is that like it's not specific to like what what happened in that space or what we specialize in, or what we have here is just generalized to like, all right, what is the South, what is the country at large, and so, I don't know. I felt that in a sharp way, and being from Chapel Hill, that like we didn't talk enough about. Like what happened and what went on here and the contributions of folks who look like me, Mm -hmm. like to this space and what has happened over generations and generations of time with black folks is that if we don't talk about it. We lose that history because our history is not documented in institutions like the public library and all the ways. Right. Or on campus. Like some of it's there, but a lot of it gets like lost if we don't continue to tell the stories. So I think that's, you know, a little bit frustrating. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of my early poetry is about that. It's about what it was like to grow up here and not feel represented and feel like race is an issue. But do you have this weird relationship with like a lot of like sort of uh, real crunchy granola white people Mm -hmm. who want to just feel like it's Kumbaya and we can all get along now, you know? Mm Um, while also simultaneously like you know thinking they invented things that really belong to our culture like kombucha and you know in farmers markets and all the things right Um, and so yeah it just is like you know Particularly the fact that a lot of those folks live in an area of town that was considered dangerous for black people. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I was just like Carborough, North Carolina, was considered the other side of the tracks, like Klan territory, right? Yep. Um, and now, like, a lot of those folks who live there are big time gentrifiers of the, that space. Also, like, if they're not gentrifiers, they're there and they feel a sort of holier than now, like, sort of eco. This. And this is not that yeah, I'm making generalizations here. So this is not everybody that lives in that space. But a lot of us in large, both black and white, are disconnected from the actual history of the land and space and what is a, what actually happened um, and what the names mean. Right. Like Julian Carr, mm-hmm. who Carborough is named after you, yeah. like, um, you know. Why would we not be working to shift that name if we take the monument down mm-hmm. in Chapel Hill for which Julian Gar gave the speech and talked mm-hmm. about horse whipping like Negro women mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying like these are real things
2: before you go, I just want to ensure you that the youth are talking about this as well, you know, yeah yeah, yeah, we acknowledge that you know um. And I know, at least for me, that I'm gonna spare, like, talk to people about this in my school and stuff. So, yeah, I just want to assure you that that's gonna be happening.
4: I appreciate you know, that. Love yeah. that. Yeah. I love that. Love and you're trying to tell me I'm not a youth anymore.
1: Oh, am <laughs> <my bad.
4: laughs> <laughs> no, I bad? Yeah, I'm getting like, like, aged oh, out. aged am yeah, I'm not a youth no more. I'm not an elder. Yeah. But, I'm not a
2: youth.
4: Yeah, but no, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, and I can tell, I'm, I'm, excited that it's still continuing to happen because I was the youth talking about it mm-hmm. after I got out of high school and then like the early years of college my early 20s was just being like man like we're talking about this like um so it it like yeah it's very encouraging to know that it continues
1: mm-hmm.
0: Thanks for listening to the Kate Scholar edition of Recollecting Chapel Hill deep gratitude to Cortland Gilliam and CJ Suit and also especially to Zan Coleman for his careful work creating this episode and thank you to all of the amazing Kate Scholars who made the library their home this summer and a special thank you to Omar Rock my co-worker at Chapel Hill Public Library who is also a gifted artist and musician and he contributed some of the music that you heard throughout this episode. You can listen to more of Omar's music at tracksmusiclibrary.org, the library's local music streaming platform. Once again, from Chapel Hill Public Library, I'm Molly Luby, and this is Recollecting Chapel Hill.